Well, we are uh, rounding up our, our series, uh, The Revolutionary Life, Embracing Countercultural Living. And uh, before we have our mystery Sunday next Sunday, today we are going to talk about God's perspective on sex. Y'all say that with me? Sex. Uh, come on, say it like you mean it. Come on, ready? Sex. Sex. Yes. Um, we talk about sex in our church. I talk about this every year, actually. And uh, somebody says, well, why do you talk about it so often? I say, well, one, because I like it. And uh, secondly, 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 um, we talk about it because this is one of those areas where the Christian community is really no different from the world at large. This is one area in which our testimony, if you will, to the world at large is poor. This is one area in which, if you were to compare our lives and how countercultural we are to the society at large, the reality is there's very little difference. Am I off on that or is that true? I know, it, it's uncomfortable to talk about. Uh, the reality is most of us grew up and nobody really talked to us about sex, and that includes not just our parents, but our pastors, right? It's one of those topics, maybe a taboo topic, we just didn't go near, and yet I don't have a choice. I pastor a church of mostly singles, average age 26, 27, for whom growing up the just say no thing may have worked when you're like 17, 18, but you're in your mid-20s. And the whole just say no thing doesn't work anymore because everything within you just wants to say yes. Talk about why there's so much dysfunction, but uh, let's just do the obvious, okay? There's a collection of magazines, okay? And you know, I don't even, you guys know where I'm going with this, right? This is so, by the way, thank you, Angela, for going and picking up... uh, I thought it'd be kind of funny if I walked into an Osco, Cosmo, Glamour, you know. Here, just imagine the look, right? Imagine the look, especially if they visited our church at one time and they said, aren't you the pastor of that? Okay. Men's health. I, I had my wife actually get these two because I was lazy, okay? Uh, front covers, right? Front cover, uh, I, 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 along with a number of things, six-pack abs, see results. By the way, guys, is it, do, you, do you do this? You know, whenever I look at these pictures, I find myself like touching my body. I just, <laughs> anybody else do that? Anybody else do that? You know what I mean? It's weird. It's like six-pack abs. I don't just go six-pack abs. I go six-pack six abs, you know? <laughs> but anyway, um, here it is in red. Dress for more sex. That's a message there, right? Dress for more sex. There's a bunch of others. And uh, for those, some of you ladies that have a hard time, you know, with the whole kind of visual and kind of temptation, you might want to close your eyes, okay, for this one. Here's a fitness RX for men, okay? Here it is again, right? Gain muscle and shed fat. Again, better abs. And I feel myself going, what am I? You know, better abs, better sex. Apparently, better sex is a result of better abs, I didn't know that, Michael, did you? By the way, you married couples that sat up front, oh, I feel bad for you today. <laughs> okay, ladies, you know, what's, you know what's actually interesting? Is the women's magazines are way more blatant, way more in your face than men's magazine. Did you know that? In regards to sex, it's, uh, well, I, I, this is another sermon in itself, but what is it telling us about our culture? 
when most of the women's magazines have this blatant message. Here's uh, Jennifer Garner. Uh, before we go on, one of the one of the things up here in front is dating now. Why is it more difficult than ever? To which Christian women go, yeah. Why is it more difficult than ever? And you're hooked, and then you're gonna go. What else is true about this, right? And here it says, test your sex IQ. By the way, there were two magazines or three magazines that apparently have an IQ test about how well or how much you know about sex. Here's Cosmo. Uh, lack of time. I'm gonna go ahead and just kind of go through these five sex skills all women have but don't realize. Hundred ways to feel sexier in bed and out. Cosmopolitan with uh, with our uh, uh, what's her name Simpson something Simpson not Ashley Simpson this Jessica Simpson. Sex goddess secrets, amazing new techniques that he'll think about forever and ever and. Ever. <laughs> okay, all right. Red book. 27 sex truths you should know by now. So test yourself. Cosmopolitan. Okay, by the way, I should have said this. Disclaimer. Parents with young children that are here. I'm serious. Parents with young children. And he said, uh, would you mind? I'm looking right now and I don't see any parents. Okay, so we're all adults here, right? Or young adults at least. So uh, we're going to be pretty, uh, pretty graphic and blunt, okay? Not in a immature, unbiblical way, but we need to talk about this, okay? Okay. You sex goddess. <laughs> what makes a man fall in love? Five places sexual... Oh, okay, that's something else, okay. But the one, that, the one that's way at the top is the blended orgasm. So deep and so strong, how you could have one tonight. Okay. <laughs> And lastly, glamour. Wow. Twelve things no one ever tells you about sex. So laugh and learn. We're bombarded with messages. This is a no-brainer. By the way, the magazines will be on sale for half the price. <laughs> I don't want to anyone. I don't want to waste it. Make sure you rip out those dumb sections, okay, before you take it. The reality is we're inundated with these messages. But let me tell you why I think it's a struggle for the church. And just go right into it. Here's the reason why it's a struggle for the church. By the way, if you're not a Christian today, I'm so glad that you're here. Because I think what we'll talk about are God's principles about why he created sex, why he invented sex, and the context in which it is to be used that is life-giving. Here's the reason why I think in the church we wrestle with this, okay? First of all, we have heard the lie that premarital sex or sex outside of God's boundaries will make you feel lousy. That's a lie. Sexual sin doesn't always feel bad. Let's just be honest. You don't wake up the next morning and always feel horrible. You don't. And the church has told us, this is how you know that sexual sin is sin. You will, make, you will feel, the reality is we don't. And I'll tell you why in a moment. 
But listen, if the church has equipped our people to say, you'll feel terrible, you'll feel guilt, what happens to a Christian who has sex outside of God's boundaries and doesn't feel bad, doesn't feel guilty? One, they go, what else about the Bible isn't true? What else about the authority of whoever said that isn't true? You tracking? Yeah? And I'll talk about that more, okay? Second lie I think uh, the church or or, or, or this service church has done, as I said, is we've we've told people just say no. Just say no. Just keep your eyes closed. Don't be involved. Just say no. And the reality is the true love waits thing that was so popular worked right until about 18. But then when people became 19, 20 years old, the percentage of people who pledged that skyrocketed that had sex. And the reality is it's easier to say no when you're living at home When you're in high school, when you got the youth group, so on and so forth, but when you're out in college, nobody's watching over you, nobody's making sure you come home by 10, 11 o'clock, and you have independence like you've never had before. Or furthermore, you leave college, you enter the working world, and your friends want to go to the bar. What the heck? You go to the bar. Your friends want to go to a party. You go to a party. Nothing wrong in and of itself. But then you start wondering about sexual ethics that you were taught, and you begin to say to things like, that's unreasonable. Be sexually pure until I get married? That's unreasonable. Oh, <laughs> you said in the church, just say no. And if you want to say yes to something, say yes to being a single missionary overseas. <laughs> like, single missionaries, like single missionaries don't struggle with sexual temptation? Come on. Here's another lie. Hey, just wait until you get married because when you get married, it'll just all work out. Do you know the godly married men struggle with temptation when it comes to sexual purity? Do you know that godly married men have sexual temptations all the time? Do you know what that means? That means that if you are not disciplined in sexual ethics when you're single, it doesn't mean that when you get married, all of a sudden it'll get easier or better. The time to develop a godly sexual ethic in your marriage is now when you're single. Now when you're single. Because it's not going to get any easier. Two more things, and then we've got to dive in here. Um, you guys, um, two people I want to talk to. Number one, I want to talk to those of you that are sitting here today, Christians. You were one time one of these Christians that said, premarital sex is wrong. You even judged people that had premarital sex. You even judged people and were critical of them. But you're in a totally different place now. And you may be sitting here with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you guys are having sex. And you're at a different place now. You've come all the way to the other side where you said, as long as you're in love, as long as you care about each other, as long as you're committed. Why? The reality is you didn't come to that conclusion because you had a biblical revelation. You didn't come to that conclusion because scripture convicted you. You didn't come to that conclusion because God spoke to you. You came to that conclusion as a way of justifying your behavior. Because you got tired of the Holy Spirit prompting your heart saying, that's wrong. Holy Spirit prompting your heart saying, that's sin. Holy Spirit prompting your heart saying, don't go there. And the last group I want to speak to, last group I want to speak to, are those of you that are here and you've sinned sexually. You've had premarital sex. You may be married and you've had extramarital sex. Maybe it was a one-night stand. Maybe it was in the context of a long-committed relationship with the person you thought you were going to marry. 
But the truth and reality is you're sitting here this morning and you are broken. You are overwhelmed with guilt, condemnation. You feel dirty. You feel like you're beyond repair and redemption. I want you to know that there is forgiveness and healing and redemption in Jesus. I want you to know that you can walk out of here today with an assurance that you have been cleansed by God. I want you to know that you can walk out of here this morning knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has forgiven you and that he has accepted you and that he loves you. I want you to know that regardless of who you are and what you have done, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Anyone who comes to him, anyone seeking his mercy and grace, God has obligated himself to forgive and to accept. Is that good news? Let me say once more or another, for those of you that are struggling in the area of sexual purity, pornography, out of control, masturbation, and the list goes on. Time permitting, we'll have an opportunity at the end to pray together. To pray together. Let me pray for us before we launch into our text today. God, I just, uh, I want to pray, Lord, for this time. There are frail nerves, there's anxiety, there's nervousness, there's also guilt There's also a sense of condemnation that some of us are feeling, even though there's really no one telling them to feel that way. Father, there's also some of us who are in marriages in which there's sexual dysfunction, and our marriages are suffering, our marriages are struggling. For some of us singles, God, we are at that press breaking point where we're saying, is it even worth it? Is it even worth it? We're on the brink of perhaps compromising our sexuality. God, I pray and ask right now for the power of your spirit, perhaps more than any other time, to be here, manifest among us, and speak to us your truth. Give us clarity. Give us clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul, in one of the actually handful of sections of Scripture, is giving instructions to this church that was struggling with all kinds of issues in the area of sexual purity. He gives instructions about God's perspective on sex, and we read in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and Lord for the body. As his power, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. 
All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Let's just go right through this passage as God reveals scripture truths and principles for us. Look at verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Here's simply what Paul is saying. You and I are free to do anything we want, to which you go, great news. But because I can, doesn't mean I should. There is a world of difference between can and best. Let me say that once more. There is a world of difference between can and best. We, we misunderstand the nature of freedom, especially in our culture. Freedom isn't the ability to do anything we want. Freedom isn't the ability to have whatever it is that we crave. True freedom is craving something with all of your heart and being fine without it. Freedom is craving something with all of your heart, a relationship, food, maybe sex, or something, craving it. True freedom says, I really want that, and I can have it anytime I want, but I'm okay without it. That's freedom. If you can't conceive of your life right now without that relationship, without sex, without food, without that thing, you're not free. You're bound. You're enslaved. Christians, for those of us that grew up in a fundamentalist Christian background where there were lots of rules and restrictions, and maybe we've come to this church and we've, we've been enlightened. We said, freedom, grace, I can do whatever I want to. Let me speak to you for a second. Have you abused that freedom? And the result now is that you're bound. You're enslaved. For those of you that are non-Christians, we live in a culture where individual freedom is the highest good. It's the end in and of itself. Let me ask you something. In the exercise of freedom, I can have whatever I want, I can do whatever I want. Is your life simpler or is it more complicated? There's a world of difference between I can do whatever I want and I will do whatever is best. Are you free? Are you bound and enslaved? Verse 13, food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. Food for the stomach, stomach for food was a common saying in that culture. It was basically an attitude that said sex is an appetite. When you're hungry, you want food, you have food, right? This mindset said, well, sex is just like it. When you feel like having sex and your body craves sex, have sex. There's nothing to it. It's just a physical appetite. It arose out of the Greek understanding of the world, a dualistic understanding of the world that said the spiritual world is the pure world. It's the good world. It's the world that really matters. But the material, the physical, the body, it's of no consequence. There's no moral direction whatsoever. So whatever you do with your body, it doesn't matter. The soul, that's what really matters. So the attitude that eventually arose, you guys, is what our culture says, which is it's just sex. It's just sex perfectly illustrated in the episode of Friends, right? Monica has her new bow. 
And they're talking about this whole area. And what does she say? She says, uh, can we still be friends and, and have sex? To which he says, sure. It'll just be something that we do together. You know, kind of like racquetball. <laughs> Is that tagline for our world today? It, sex. It's just racquetball. <laughs> It's just a game. Just an appetite. Just a thing you do. Here's the problem biblically. Here's the problem biblically. Biblically, the Bible says that sex is not just another physical appetite like food and eating. Why? Because sex deals with a part of your soul. Sex deals with a part of you that is centered to the reality of who you are. Sex hits at the center, the very core of your deepest spiritual being. And here's another compounded problem biblically. You ready? That is Sin has disordered everything in our world. We forget that sometimes. Sin has disordered everything in the world. And it, it, has, it has brought about a disfiguration, if you will, of everything, including our desires and our appetites. You can't trust sex just as an instinct. Why? Your instincts are disordered. What is sin? Sin is the bent of the whole person to want to live for self rather than God. Sin is the bent that every single one of us is born with to seek our selfish interests, our selfish desires, our selfish goals rather than the goals of God. Sin is that bent of the whole person to want to put ourselves at the center, even at the expense of using people. Paul is saying is sin has disordered sex. In a way, the physical appetite for other things like food haven't been affected. The effect in the area of sin is way more profound than any other physical appetites. Do you get that? Do you get that? For those of us that aren't even Christian, this, we know this innately, don't we? C.S. Lewis had a wonderful illustration. You guys have heard me share this before. Of how this effect is seen in our world today. Imagine traveling to another planet. Imagine traveling to another planet. And, and, and you happen to visit a, a dormitory, a dormitory on a college campus. It's the first week of school. And you walk into this all-guys dormitory, and down the hallway you hear, ooh. Down the hallway you hear, oh, she's so hot. That is so hot. You hear all these googling and goggling. You're going, what the heck is going on? And so you peer into the dorm room, and there are five, six freshman guys, 18 years old, and they're googling and goggling on a picture that's on the wall, and it's a picture of a brown, well-oiled turkey. And you're looking at them, you're looking at the poster, you're looking at them, you're looking at the poster, and you're going, what is going on? And whatever, you go home. Well, that very night, Another group of 10 young men get into a car and they go to this place. There's bumping and grinding music. And you walk into this place and there are men throwing cash on the stage. And there's a pole. And eventually a curtain peers open and out walks a hamburger. The hamburger starts dancing around this pole and these men are throwing money going, ooh, and you're sitting there going, what the heck? What kind of world is this? You would conclude, these people are starving. These people are starving to death. Otherwise, why would they act like that? And then C.S. Lewis goes on to say, eventually a man came along by the name of Sigmund Freud 
who said, you know the problem is? We don't eat enough. So eat more. Eat more. That's the problem. We don't eat enough. Consume as much as you can. Don't ever say no. Just eat and eat and eat. And what happened to that world? They're hungrier now than they've ever been. Are you tracking? C.S. Lewis saying the disordering of issue of sexuality in humanity today is unlike anything else in the world that's been affected by sin. It's way more profound. Way more profound. The fall had a much bigger turn on our sexuality. Fall had a much bigger impact on our sexuality. Very few people today put up posters of food on the walls. You can't download illicit images of the freshest cabbage available for a monthly fee. (laughs) We laugh, but think about it. Can I just speak to you? Come on, come on, come on, Christian or not, come on. We live in a culture that's completely irrational about sex. We live in a culture that said whenever, wherever, however, with whoever. And yet we live in a culture that's more lonely, more unfulfilled, and more searching for meaningful relationship than any other time in the history of the world. Why? Your sexuality, my sexuality, has been profoundly disordered by sin. That's why you can't trust your instincts that says, oh, I feel like having sex. Here's another, can I just, by the way, I need to give major props to a woman named Laura Winner, Lauren Winner, who wrote a book called Real Sex. Pick it up, dudes and ladies. Powerful book. And she mentions this in her book, and it is so powerful. She says, think about the fallen sexuality and its impact on us, and this is the reason why, what I said earlier, you can't trust your feelings. Do you realize that our feelings have been distorted by sin? This is why we can't, we failed in the church to say, you'll feel terrible, you'll feel guilty, so don't do it. So what happens when you have premarital sex and you go, this actually felt pretty good. You won't always feel bad when you sin. Because your feelings have been distorted by the fall. You know what else this means? And this is powerful for me. That's why you won't always feel good when you do the absolute right, godly, biblical thing. Some of the most godly, biblical, powerful things we can do, you're not going to feel good about it. And some of the most destructive, distorted things we can do, you'll feel absolutely wonderful. Why? Your feelings, my feelings are distorted by sin. This is why legalism and guilt-driven ministry never works. (laughs) Because if you go, you'll feel bad, you'll feel guilty, and that's the measure to whether you're going to remain sexually pure, what happens to the person who says, I don't feel bad? They say, this thing doesn't work. Are you tracking, you guys? Does this make sense? This is a powerful, powerful reminder for me. To acknowledge a premarital sex or any other sinful act might feel good is not to say, for those of you that are like, what is he saying? It's not to say that because it, feels, because it feels good that it is good. It's rather to say that our feelings are not trustworthy. Isn't this great news, by the way, for those of us that try and practice spiritual disciplines and why it never feels good? It's because of our 
fallen nature that battles against what is godly. If our feelings could be trusted, will we need community? Come on. Would we need, do you know why we need community? Because there are things that you will do where you'll be like, I feel fine. I feel absolutely great. It's when your community says your feelings are distorted, that's sin. And why would we even need a biblical ethics if we could trust our feelings? Look, let me just put it this way. If we stopped doing things every time it felt bad, there would be a whole lot less sinning going on in the world. And if it felt great every time we did something good, there would be a whole lot more charity, godly life. Help with the poor working for justice in the world. Are you tracking? You can't trust your feelings. Let's go on. Look at the rest of this passage. Listen to what Paul says as he outlines the guidelines for sex. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body and the Lord for the body. Let me just outline clearly right here, right now, for those of you that said, give me the punchline, what is it? Here's one way to look at sex in the context of godly ordained uh, context. Sex, Paul says, is within the context of a marriage, a permanent covenant relationship between a man and a woman, or a husband and wife, period. It has always said that. You say, where does it say that? I don't, verse 13 and verse 18, when Paul says, avoid, flee from sexual immorality, the word sexual immorality in Greek literally is the word porneia, from which we get the word, unfortunately, pornography. Porneia, however, describes sex, any kind of sex, outside the bounds of marriage. So he wasn't just talking about adultery. If Paul wanted to say adultery as extramarital sex, he would have used a different word, but he's describing all kinds of sex outside God-given ordained bounds of marriage. And he says, flee from it. He doesn't soften the blow and say, it's not just beneficial for you to not do it. We'll talk about that in a moment, but he says, have nothing to do with it. Be radically decisive about it. Can I just, uh, if you are sexually tempted and you're kind of playing that whole, well, I just kind of, but I can't, well, I, 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 well, you know, God, God, will you get, if you are indecisive in that moment and you don't have a definitive, this is what God has called me to do, flee, run farthest from it. You're not going to make it, friend. Is that true? I mean, how often do you go, okay, we're not going to mess around with your girlfriend, boyfriend, right? But you're in the backseat of the car. It's over. <laughs> Are you going, you know, we're not going to mess around. But you're in your, her dorm room at 3 o'clock in the morning with the lights off, lying down on her bed, just cuddling. It's too late. <laughs> and then look at verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Uh, Can you look up here for a second? You you can't miss this, because I've never seen this in this passage, and I finally saw it this week. And here's what Paul is saying. That's just going to be like so counter-cultural and so counter-intuitive that you're just going to be like, no way, Yahweh. Okay, so here's, here's what Paul is saying here. He is saying, listen, he's saying, and he's going to elaborate. He's saying in sex, there are joining of two bodies. And he'll elaborate what that means. There are joining of two bodies. And listen to what Paul's saying here. He's saying, do you realize that when you became a Christian, you joined a body too? And that was the body of Christ. 
And that's why he says, your body is not your own. You have no claim, you have no right to your own body because your body is not your own. You belong to a larger body, and that's called the body of Christ. Are you tracking so far? That's what he says. He says, so when it comes to sex, in the Christian grammar, you have no right to sex. You know why? Because that body, that's not you, has to give you permission to join yourself to another body for it to be biblical. It floored me. I looked at it. I'm like, wow. I've never thought about that before. And that's why the Bible is so powerfully strong on that. He's saying, our world today that says, it's my body, it's my, I can do. He says, if you are a Christian, you don't have one. You are part of a bigger body. That's called the church. And the only context in which it's okay for you to join that body to another body is when they confer privilege and, 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 and yes to that. And that is on the day of the wedding. When the body, the church says, now it's okay. Go ahead. You have no right to sex. You have no individual, but uh, not if you're a Christian. You're part of another body. And when they give you permission to join that body to another body, then it's okay. Otherwise, Verse 16, then Paul gives us a positive, positive vision. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, by the way, don't get all freaked out by the word prostitute, because back in, remember, this is the kind of, this is the culture in which you got married when you were 12 or 13, okay? So when you were a single young adult and you were married, most likely you were a prostitute, because either you were married or you were like 10. (laughs) To which all of you go, we should go back to that, because then we would solve a lot of issues, yes. So don't get freaked out. This isn't, you know, don't think, you know, Rush Street at 3 o'clock in the morning, a guy pulling. No, this was very common. But listen to what he says. Do you not know that you unite himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Here's the positive, absolutely positive vision of what God created sex for. And Bible says that God created sex for intimacy and whole life oneness. Will you say that with me? Intimacy and whole life oneness. Say it again. Intimacy and whole life oneness. Where do you get that? This is central. Paul is riffing here on Genesis 2 when God says a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And he also riffs on this section in Ephesians 5 when he says the same thing. Listen. Do you know what God created sex for? What does the word flesh mean? What does the word one flesh mean? That's the key in verse 16. What does the word one flesh mean? When we hear it, we think of one flesh, physical union, physical insertion. One flesh, pretty simple. And yet, Paul could not have been talking about something more radically different than just physical union when he's talking about one flesh. If Paul meant physical union by one flesh, which a lot of Christians, by the way, understand it this way, he's being totally redundant. And Paul was a lot of things, but he wasn't redundant. Because if it was one flesh as in physical union, listen to what he's saying. Verse 16, do you not know that when you physically unite yourself with someone, that you physically unite with them? 
That's not what Paul is saying. What is Paul saying? The key is found in what the word flesh means in scripture. The word flesh comes from the Greek word soma, literally soma. And soma is in physical tissue, this, this thing that you and I could touch. Flesh in scripture in the New Testament is embodied personhood. Everybody say that with me. Embodied personhood. Embodied person is your body, your mind, your soul, all of you. The other time this word appears is in Acts chapter 2 when Peter, riffing on Joel chapter 2 says, and God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. He uses the same word soma. And God clearly isn't saying there that he's going to pour out his spirit just on our physical receptacles. He's saying I will pour out my spirit on embodied persons, all of you, the totality of who you are. And Paul says that when you unite yourself physically with somebody, you become one flesh. He is literally saying that there is whole person, mind, body, soul, spirit, whole person union that occurs. This is true even if it's a casual one-night stand. This is true, even if the sex doesn't feel all that meaningful. This is true, even if sex doesn't mean all that much at the time. During sex, there is embodied persons joining one to the other. Your body, your mind, your soul. Where do we come up with the phrase casual sex? Casual sex couldn't be more contradictory in terms of scripture. There's nothing casual about sex, God's people. During sex, there is a oneness of everything that you are. Whether it's one night stand, whether it's I just did it for comfort, whether it's I just really love this person, I think, and I'm, regardless of the context, during sex, there is embodied persons connecting. At the deepest level. Sex unites you to someone else in that strange and impossible to pinpoint sense of one flesh. A lot of wisdom from Cameron Diaz from the movie Vanilla Sky. You remember that movie for those of you that saw it? Cameron Diaz is literally stalking Tom Cruise after their little fling because Tom Cruise is like, I don't want anything to do with you. Cameron Diaz tracks him down. And in one of the most powerful lines in movies about sex, listen to what she says. She says, don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? Don't you know that there's a promise given when you sleep with somebody? Promise for what? What did God create sex for? You know what sex is? By the way, the sign right here, we didn't rip it off by the way. Thank you, Stephen. We didn't didn't steal it. This This sign actually tells us truth about what sex is, but we'll get to that at the end. You know what sex is? You know what God created sex? God created sex because the reality is there's something about sex that meets an innate yearning and a desire in every single one of us as human beings, and that yearning and desire is for intimacy. God created sex to meet a yearning and desire. Every single one of us, every single one of us has this yearning and desire to connect with somebody at the deepest level. You know what intimacy is? Intimacy is to be fully known and to be fully, fully accepted without any fear of rejection. Every single one of us longs every single day of our lives to connect with somebody at that level where we say, you see all of me, everything about me, the dark, the good, everything about me, and yet you 
accept me. You love me. You receive me as I am. Every single one of us is on a search to have that kind of a connection. That's why community, even Christians, is so hard because we say that's our ideal, but it's hard. You know what sex is? Sex is the context that God gave for two people who are in a committed relationship to experience that intimacy. To experience that I am fully vulnerable. I am fully exposed. I am fully naked, but I'm not scared. I'm not afraid. I'm not worried because I know that you have done the same thing. You have been completely vulnerable. You have been completely exposed. You have been completely naked with me too. And so two abandoned people in the context of a committed covenant relationship giving themselves to each other. And when that happens, you experience deep soul nurture. When that happens, you get that sense of, this is what we were made for. But do you see why it can't happen outside of whole life oneness? Do you see why the Bible says you can't get physically naked with somebody unless you are in your entire life naked with somebody? Why? Because it's only when somebody says, all of me, I don't have anything independent of you. I am giving you my all. I am giving you my all materially, my emotionally. I am giving you my all legally. I am giving you my all economically. I am giving you my all socially. And when you know that that person is committed like that to you and they give themselves on top of that physically to you, it's intimacy. It's but that's why the Bible says it is a monstrosity to say I'm not going to give you this part of my life I'm not going to give you this part of my life I'll give you myself physically but I'm not going to I'm going to withhold some of these areas when you do that you're breaking the purpose of sex you're breaking it you see why God says don't have sex outside of his prescribed boundaries it's not to dampen the fun it's not to dampen your life so God is saying if you have sex with somebody who says I'm going to keep certain areas of my life but I will sex with you it erodes it destroys the ability that you have that you were created for to be intimate to be vulnerable to trust that's why those of us who had sex before marriage just be honest here it's not easier to be it's not easier to be vulnerable with people it's harder It's not easier to trust people. It's harder. It's not easier to open ourselves up with people. It's harder. Why? Because that commitment apparatus that God created us for to say, I belong totally and fully, completely to you, and here I give my body to you. The context in which you're meant to experience that, that commitment apparatus is broken. realize that's what God created sex for. God created sex in the context of a marriage for two people to go, I give you every part of me. And when that other person says, and I give you every part of me in that union, there is deep soul nurture. There is a sense of completeness. There is a sense of this is what we were created for. And you get to experience what Adam and Eve experienced in Genesis 2.24 when the Bible says that they were both naked and yet they felt no shame. They were naked. What does that mean? Naked is not just physically naked, taking your clothes off. Look, taking your clothes off takes no courage. Taking your clothes off takes no effort. At least not for me. (laughs) Jenny, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. 
It's because I'm a small person, you know. I, that's what it is. I'm just. I'm When the Bible says in Genesis 2, listen, when the Bible says in Genesis 2 that they were both naked and felt no shame, do you know what the naked word means literally? Nakedness is being emotionally vulnerable. Nakedness is being my whole life vulnerable and not being afraid, not being ashamed. Adam and Eve were, to were, were able to experience this, this total connection, intimacy, oneness with each other in the context. Look, I'll say it again. It takes no courage to take your clothes off. It takes no courage to be physically naked. It takes courage to say, I commit all myself to you it takes courage to say i'm not going anywhere here's all of me it takes courage and commitment to say i will give you and commit myself to you permanently and in that context god says sex can be glorious wonderful singles singles do you know why the bible says Paul says that sex is the only sin in which you sin against your own body. Listen, listen. If, if by that Paul meant the only sin is you sin against your body, so it's the greatest sin against your body, if all he meant by that was our physical tissue, he would be wrong again. Why? Suicide would be a greater sin against your body. Addiction would be a greater sin against your body. Why does Paul say that sexual sin is the greatest sin against your body? Because sexual sin hits you at something that is intrinsic to who you are, the core of who you are what makes you an embodied person. It affects you at the deepest of levels. And that's why Paul says, it's the greatest sin against your body. Singles, I gotta speak to you for a moment. Some of you in here, literally, sex is a search. I said this last Sunday, sex is a search for something that's missing Meaningful relationships, fulfilling relationships. Sex is a longing for acceptance, worth. Sex, is a, sex for some of us is a longing just for somebody to say, hey, I'm here. As I said last week, sex is never a search for something that's missing. Sex is a profound expression of something that's been found between two people who have given themselves completely and totally to each other. If sex is an internal search for you to find something that's missing, you will go from relationship to relationship, one boyfriend to another girlfriend, and never ever find what you already have, which is inestimable worth in God's eyes. Married couples, somebody came up to me last Sunday and said, will you please talk about sex about married couples? I said, sure, I can do that. <laughs> Two things. And I'll wrap it up. Two things, married couples. And by the way, singles, don't you now pay attention. Married couples, can I speak to you for a moment? Two things about you. Number one, do you know that sex isn't primarily about you? Do you know that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, husbands, your body is not yours. It belongs to your wife. Wives, your body is not yours. It belongs to the husband. You know what Paul was saying? He was saying something that's, again, counterintuitive. Sexual pleasure is not about you gaining sexual pleasure. Ultimate height, ultimate apex, biblical of sexual pleasure is the pleasure of being able to give pleasure to another person. Can I say that again? Sexual pleasure, biblical apex of sexual pleasure, is the ability to give pleasure to somebody. Ask married couples who have healthy married sex lives, and you know what they'll say? They'll say, it's the best when I can make my spouse, my husband, or my wife enjoy. I mean, can, can I be even more blunt? Apex of sexual 
what God created sex for? It's not so that you can have an orgasm. It's so that you can give one to the one that you love. Is that a little too raw? Do you know why I say that? Do you know what I find with married couples who have sexual issues? One pastor gave this advice. He said to a couple who said, we hate sex, we don't like sex, it doesn't feel good. And the, and, and the pastor said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and for the next month or so, have sex even if you don't want to. To which they said, what? Yeah, just have sex. And here's the thing, when you have sex with your husband, when you have sex with your wife, don't think about, what am I, what am I feeling? Does it feel good? You know? Don't think about yourself. He said, focus totally on your spouse and what it's doing for them. They came back a week later and said, The pastor said, how's it feel? And I said, it's a little awkward. I mean, it's kind of like, honey, it's time. Okay, it feels a little awkward. It doesn't, it doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't feel good. Second week they came back. I said, how does it feel? Second week they said, you know, it's getting. Third week, by the last time they came, revelation. Sexual pleasure is the ability to give pleasure to the one you love. Secondly, married couples, another thing. Can I just say that ordinary sex is okay? Can I just say that? Can I just say that? I'm serious. Can I just say that? Do you know why? Let me, look, look. We live and breathe in a culture where sex, where sex, incredible sex, mind-blowing sex. Married couples, it has to happen when send the kids away to the grandparents. It happens when we go away for a bed and breakfast. It, it happens when we take a warm bath and we have a sip of champagne. It happens when your wife puts on that sucky little thing. It happens all those things. And you know what our culture's taught us? Our culture's taught us that good, real sex doesn't happen in the ordinary rhythms of life. And I say fooey to that. Married couples, can I get an amen? I'm serious. Real sex happens in order. Think about it. What did God place the context of uh, sex for? He says sex best happens when there's whole life sharing with each other. Why? Because in the context of whole life sharing, that you're able to exhibit Christ. You change that diaper when you don't want to. You see the pile of dishes, pitter-patter of little feet running around, the ordinary rhythms of life. And it's in that context you say, honey, I'm learning to love you more. Honey, I'm learning to love you more. And it's in that ordinary context of life that God meant real sex to happen. Our culture says, escape. Do, uh-uh. God says real sex happens when two people are saying, I love you with all of my heart. And you're saying, you know, you don't look good very good right now, but boy, <laughs> I want you anyway. <laughs> Let's end with this. Let's end with this. Why, why this sign? Um, to me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32 actually gets to the most profound truth about sex and, and why God created sexual pleasure. Sexual pleasure was created by God not just so that we could feel good. You know why God created sex? Here's what Paul says. Paul says in Ephesians 5, he riffs on Genesis 2 and says, and the man will leave his wife, uh, man will leave his <laughs> wife, the man, husband, the man will leave his parents. The man will leave his parents. The man will leave his parents. I gotta watch it. The man will leave his parents. I was at a wedding yesterday. It was beautiful. This is a total side note. I was at a wedding yesterday. You know what? For the first time, 
I felt and thought something that I never felt before, which is I saw the father walk down the aisle with the bride, and I started getting teary-eyed because I saw Sophie. I'm like, oh. Anyway, okay. I'm just hoping Jesus come. Come with your rule and reign before Sophie gets married, okay? That's what I'm talking about. I have to go through that crap as a father. Do you know why God created sex? Paul, Paul says, and the man shall leave his parents and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And we talk all morning about what that means. And you know what Paul has the audacity to say in verse 32? He says, that's a profound mystery. And then he says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You know what he's saying? God created sexual intimacy so that you and I would have a glimpse and a hint in this world of what it will feel like when we see God face to face. When he embraces us. God created sexual pleasure, did you know? So that when we experience it, we could say, God created this to meet that longing for intimacy, wholeness, closure, connectedness with somebody. For us to go, this is great with my wife, with my husband, but man, if this is good right now, what's it going to be like, God, when I see you face to face and I experience perfect intimacy and I experience perfect closure and I experience perfect oneness? You know what sex is? Sex is a signpost. It says it's good right now, but there's more. Keep going. Can you imagine a family driving to Chicago, seeing that sign, and the husband drives over, parks along the side, and says, Honey, we're in Chicago. Get the kids out. Woohoo! The wife would be like, 50 more miles. You've... That's what we're doing with sex. We're saying, We're here. This is it. And God says, There's more. If you deify it, and make it a sacred substitute, and you live your entire life hoping that you'll one day have it or wanting it, God says, you'll miss out on the life I've called you to. Sex is a signpost that says, there's something even better. One last thing for some of us. If sexual intimacy is a picture of God in us, you can come on up. If sexual intimacy is a picture of God and us, and in sexual intimacy, you can't truly be intimate, you can't truly experience a sense of closure and oneness if there are areas of your life that you're going, I'm not gonna give you this, I'm gonna be independent, I'm gonna compartmentalize, I'm gonna, if there are areas in your life that you are not sharing and open with your spouse or with that person, you're not gonna be able to experience intimacy. And yet we expect different with God. We expect him to flood our hearts with his love. We expect him to give us his grace, give us his mercy, and overwhelm us with his unconditional love when we're saying to God, God, this life, this part of my life, mm, I'm independent right here. This part of my life, you can't have this. This part of my life, oh, sorry. And yet we want God to be intimate with us. We want God to flood our hearts with his love, and God's going, it doesn't work that way in human relationship. It doesn't work that way between us. If there are areas of your life that you're keeping independent of God, you're hiding from God, you're compartmentalizing from God, and you know it, you're always going to hit a ceiling in your intimacy with God. Why? Same in human relationships. 
The extent to which you are saying, God, all of me, no independence, I throw myself at you, is the extent to which God says, I come now flooding your heart with my love. There is no barrier. There is no hindrance. How are you doing? How am I doing? Do you realize that God has done what he asks to do? Do you realize that God could not be intimate with us if he didn't give up his independence either? See, this is just one way. See, this is God going, you become completely dependent and I'm going to be independent. God says, I gave up my independence too. Where? On the cross. He became a human being. Philippians 2, he let go of heavenly glory. He let go of his independence and became fragile, frail for you and for me. Why? So that we could be intimate with him. He never asks us to do something that he has never done. Close your eyes with me as we pray this morning. Because of time, and we have lots of activity happening throughout today, because I want every single one of you, if at all possible, to go to the barbecue, connect, have fun, develop friendships. I mean, that is incredible. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and wrap this service up, and I'm going to go and dismiss those of you that want to go out and, and join in the fellowship. But then let me speak to those of you singles who have issues of sexual brokenness. Singles who are struggling with major areas in your life, in your thought life, purity, addictions. Married couples who have issues in this area. Married couples whose marriage is strained. Those of you Christians, committed Christians, boyfriend, girlfriend, and you have not been sexually pure. You have not been committed to God's standards in this area. And anybody else I might not have mentioned, please don't just be in a hurry to leave. Stay a while. Pray. Pastoral staff, leadership team, and prayer team will be up here to pray with and for you. Please, 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 don't miss out on this opportunity. Allow the Spirit of God to speak. Allow the Spirit of God to come. Oh, just to be close to you. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you is my desire. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you. Is my desire. What is God saying? What is the Spirit of God doing? 
What is God saying? What is the Spirit of God doing as He moves? Worship team, you guys could come on up and get ready as we close. Those of you that know you need prayer by yourself or with somebody, do not leave. Come on up. We want to pray with you and for you. Father, will you continue to create within us a longing and desire to be that radical counterculture? And God, in this incredibly, profoundly important area of our lives, we acknowledge we cannot do this without you. We need you and the power of your spirit and the community that's at large, the community that surrounds us, the community that walks this journey with us, God, and cares for us and loves us. Remind us of that. Beloved child of God, church at large, new community, as you go forth today, remember that our Heavenly Father, He loves you unconditionally. Remember that His Son, Jesus, became dependent, lost His independence so that you would know Him, so that you would be forgiven and redeemed and renewed. That He walks with you in the power of His Spirit who lives inside of you both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit. Amen and amen and amen. Would you be sensitive to the ministry time? If you are leaving, go outside, have fun. If you need prayer, please come on up. We're here for you.